You're listening to Standing Before the Mast podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Welcome to episode 14 of Standing Before the Mast podcast. My guest for this episode is John Fulweiler. John is an attorney who specializes in maritime and admiralty law, but he is also a licensed U.S. Coast Guard captain, a former towing and salvage captain, a sailor, and an author. John has written about the Jones Act, as well as a book about a harrowing tale of survival when a local man falls off his boat. That book is called A Swim and is available on Amazon. John's story begins at a young age working on and around docks in Jamestown and Newport, Rhode Island. He acquired his captain's license and began driving launches. He then moved on to work for a local towing and salvage company where he was involved in some significant salvage operations. Our paths have crossed numerous times in the last two decades, and we discuss our common experiences during hurricanes, oil spills, and general nuttiness we've witnessed on the water. John is also a sailor who has a 1965 35-foot Allied Sea Breeze, which he hopes to sail to Bermuda one day, and even possibly transatlantic, though much of this appears to be contingent on the approval of certain family members. We also talk technology on boats and our comfort with the familiar paper charts and tools with which we honed our skills. We touch on all of this and more in this episode. You can learn more about John and his experience at saltwaterlaw.com. I hope you enjoy. John, welcome. Thank you for coming. Well, thanks for inviting me. I, I, I appreciate it. And having listened to a few of these, I, uh, I was impressed with their production value and your guest list. So I'll try and, and hold my own here. I'm sure you will. You're, a, you're an admiralty lawyer. Yes. But before that, let's go back to how you got started. I think I remember you on the harbor yes. in Newport back in the day. Yes. I can't seem to get out of this town. <laughs> oh, and, and I say that with, with love. I... Uh, yeah, no, I, I started working uh, originally over it, um, just doing the, the sort of um, boat care work for a couple of boats at Canica Marina, mm-hmm. and then that matured into, if you could say matured to being a, 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 uh, working the dock over there, and then I got my launch license and drove the call girl for a while. Oh, really? And then I migrated over to Oldport and spent a couple of seasons there, and then I started working... Um, uh, for uh, it was back then crop towing back then out of Wickford mm-hmm. uh, um, safe sea today right and yep. uh, and then I I got myself into where I convinced a law school to accept me should be the way I phrase it right were you just interested in law or was it the maritime background that's made you focus on the admiralty aspect of it yeah I only went to law school for the purpose of of practicing maritime law mm-hmm. I've been deposed a couple of times. Me too. Um, yeah, <laughs> in connection with maritime sports, yes. you know. So you know, and I kept and I did moorings one winter, uh, and that was really cold. And we were crack- that's a wake up call. Yeah, and I thought, you know, it's really I should try to focus on what we're going to do here long term. Right. And so, uh, I think I was the only maritime lawyer to ever come out of the University of Arkansas, Little Rock. So, really? Yes. That's not there. Yeah, so. That's not their strong suit. That is not. I think no. everyone looked at me cross-eyed when I said, well, I'm here to be a maritime lawyer. Okay. Anyway. When you left law school, did you go right 
to working for a maritime law firm, or did you work for a different type of firm? No, I was fortunate enough, um, and thanks to those many of those local connections I just referenced, to leverage those into getting myself in the door in a very small little opera- maritime uh, firm uh, in New York, right in Manhattan, um, and uh, with, with two great uh, lawyers who had come from another larger maritime firm. Uh, they were doing cargo work mostly, and I, I, I cut my teeth on cargo work, which is pretty dry work. And mm-hmm. So I did about a year and a half of that, and then I moved over to another larger maritime law firm uh, where I stayed, made partner, and uh, and then um, and then eventually decamped to to this area of the world, back home. Yeah, yeah. I looked at your website, and you you cover a variety of areas. One that jumped out was wind turbine litigation and support. And yes. that's sort of a new thing around here. Yes. Uh, but where do you fall on that? Both sides or whoever? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you were going to say. Whoever's paying the invoice. <laughs> well, I'm just curious. Is I didn't know who. No. Uh, yeah. I, I, for me, the um, look, I mean, as a lawyer, you're an advocate for the client that retains right. you. Okay. Um, I have certain personal views about offshore wind farm and the merit of that, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in connection with, with the, the litigation experience I've had, I got to uh, get a fair bit of experience up in, in connection with uh, some litigation that was going on in Massachusetts and sort of bringing a, a maritime view to how uh, wind farms impact the navigation of vessels and such. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am for us all getting away from car, uh, carbon uh, fuels, so I, right. you know, carbon-based fuels. So I, you know, I just I sometimes wonder whether wind for, offshore wind farms, you know how the environment is out there. Right. You know, um, it, that can be a tough yeah. program. What was one of your more memorable experiences working in the towing and salvage <laughs> environment? Oh, wow. You know, I had such good... I have such good memories of that time, and I think at the time I was doing that work, I kind of, I think I did have the prescience to say to myself, this may be some of the, the better times in your life, like you'll yeah. really have good memories of this, yep. and I think it was it's such a nascent point at, at that time, back in the what late 80s, early 90s, you really didn't have the big towing plans like you have now with mm-hmm. C-Tow and all that, so, I mean, we worked a lot of different, I mean, I did a lot of different and fun things with the outfit I was with, and we saw. I I, I remember one instance. I don't know why it sticks in my head. Aside from all the personal failings that I also um, uh, I remember, where you know I, I swamped an inflatable and offshore and ran and, and managed to knock a transmission off its mounts right when I decided to cut inside R two and. Um, oh dear. There there are other yeah. stories, but I think that the. Um, you know, one of the th- it wasn't professional salvage towing, but I remember working for Ron Ackman at Old Port. Oh yeah, and and I hadn't really made launch driver status at that point. I think I was just running around doing stuff. And he he there was a hurricane coming. Maybe it was Glory. I don't remember which one it was. But we took record out, and we were doing all this work on the, around the harbor. And I would hang over the side and put lines on. And for some reason, I have such good memories of that whole day or two. Mm. The, of the fervor of it. And I remember you know, there was Gloria and then there was Hurricane Bob. Bob was 91. Maybe it was Bob. Then. Yeah. Maybe it was Bob. I just, uh, you know, thankfully they they weren't, they, they didn't hit with a lot of force. Right. But, yeah, yeah. Now, since you mentioned the towing and salvage, there was a period, and maybe it still exists, a lot of 
misconceptions about what it means when a salvage company gets a hold of your boat and people think, oh, they're stealing my boat or they're holding it hostage. But this law really goes back a long way. It, it does, and it's such a good question because it's, it, it's like if I had to pick once, and you probably you might share my, my, mm-hmm. my, my, my feeling in this regard. If you went down to the shipyard and said, okay, guys, pick three people randomly, three crew, mm-hmm. and say, what, what, what is the difference between towing and salvage? Mm-hmm. I, I'll, you're going to get three different answers, and right. one of them will be the salver is going to take your boat. So there's a tremendous misconception about uh, that whole arena, and I think that you know, I think salvage, and I come from a point of bias because it paid for my law school. Right. So, um, but I think salvage is 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 one of those those things where if you just understand the concept that someone is risking their own equipment and 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 life to assist and save someone else's property, not the life, their property. Mm-hmm. There's really no other situation in, in in the world where that occurs, really, and and so. The courts in this country have come up with a system where when you do that and when you qualify and it is a salvage, then the award is is based on the value you saved. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you get the vessel. Right. It just means that uh, you get something, um, and it tends to be at times a lot more, than just what we call quantum merit, which is time materials. Mm-hmm. And I think people get offended when... The exercise may have only taken a couple of hours, but the ultimate invoice, salvage invoice or claim is, is for uh, maybe more than the six figures at that point. Mm. But I think when people sit down and they look at the, and the situation, analyze the fact that the solver prepared all year to execute that, um, you know, invests in the equipment to do that, mm. and then risks that equipment uh, to render that service. I, li- I like to think most people sort of begrudgingly, at least, come around and sort of understand why the law is that way. And I always refer not to drag on this topic. Right. right. I always refer. But like, the 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 idea of that salvage claim being based on the assets that were put at risk that existed prior to what I would call the sort of the explosion of. And let me just say, it's based on the value of what's saved, not the assets oh, that are okay. used. Which encourages, though, someone doing a really good job to bring as much value back to the dock. Right. Okay. And then the salver. If you think about it, they don't want your boat because if that's all they did, they would have a lot of boats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not a good thing. No. But this law that you refer to that protects the salver in that way, that goes back long before the towing company sort of came oh, about yeah. because the Coast Guard essentially said, well, we're not going to tow you home when you ran out of gas, and which is what they always used to do up until, what was it, the early 80s? Yeah, I think that's about right, yeah. Yeah. No, you're entirely right. The, the, the law of salvage is, I've seen some cases reference it as being one of the oldest legal threads that you can find, and it goes back to the Phoenicians and Byzantine times where there were uh, certain laws that they can trace that show that the concept, this idea of, of, of compensating a salver in this way, mm-hmm. um, has existed for eons. And, um, and I do think it's a great mechanism for um, for getting someone to get off the sofa and risk their own equipment to save property. We're not talking saving life. That can happen, but the idea that you're risking your own property to save someone else's property, you don't have to see You don't have to see that. You call the plumber when your house is flooding mm. on, a, on a Saturday, he's probably going to say, I'll be there Monday. Right. You know? 
if I were in a situation where, let's say, I was here and my boat broke mm. free from its mooring and a salver got a hold of it, it would essentially be I'm fully insured on the boat. Well, they they spell out just like any other insurance policy that various terms and coverage that would cover it for the most part, or would they the claim be higher? No. I mean, obviously, every circumstance is different. I've right. never seen a claim that would exceed a policy because it really, um, that would be a very unusual circumstance. Right, I mean, the insurance is there to make sure that the asset is covered. But it, it's a good point, though. Vessel owners should look at their policy. I have seen policies where they they, they just don't seem to cover salvage, and they sort of, uh, the, the underwriter sort of terms it as, we'll give you 700 bucks for emergency towing or something. Mm-hmm. Well... What happens then when my boat, you know, uh, breaks or drags anchor and needs to be recovered by someone who makes a salvage claim? You may not have insurance coverage. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the areas that I looked at your website, it Mm. said you covered yacht warranty, was it product claims? Defect claims. Yes. Excuse me, defect defect claims. Um, is Is that common? Are there a lot of those? I get more calls from across the country on alleged defects to vessels mm. than any other topic. Really? I mean, it is the, it, it, when you click on our web analytics, that's the shining star. And we don't do a lot of it. We don't accept a lot of those cases mm. because you know, litigation is expensive. The ve- you, there's a, a balancing act there. And, and it's, it's tough when, because there isn't, you sense an injustice, but you don't always, you can't always offer a remedy that for them. But, um, um, there is a f- fair number of folks out there who feel that the vessel is defective in some that the vessel they have is defective in some fashion. Um, that may just be a, a product of the fact that there are a lot of vessels out there and hmm. um, you know fiberglass. I, I remember yeah. there was we had a customer a couple of years ago. He had a I won't say the brand, but hmm. a good sized forty foot powerboat with twin high end engines, and the exhaust was backfilling to and reaching the engine and it, it destroyed both engines and through maybe insurance and adjusters and marine surveyors, they determined that it was a design flaw in how the exhaust was let out and they replaced his engines. Did through Not some the insurer probably. No, yeah. No. The, 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 the manufacturer right, right. of the boat acknowledged that there was some problem there and it was, I'm sure, complicated and took a while, but that was... My, ex- yeah, and... and I mean, of course, I'm always biased because I see the the, the problem, uh, children, in a sense. You know, I always see the the bad uh, side of things. But I do. It can be difficult to get a manufacturer to give someone a new vessel. Mm. On that same line, there was I remember because I just remember the the individual behind it. There was a a bottom paint that came out a number of years ago, and I think I even read an article in a trade publication that you had authored. And this bottom paint was supposed to be the next greatest thing in the world and it i guess it worked in the beginning but then it failed miserably and is that something that happens often that was a unique circumstance and if we're talking about the same uh, entity we filed the firm i was with in new york filed a class action on behalf of a um, actually it turned out to be a fair number of uh, folks who had who had who had tried that product and then alleged it had failed you know i haven't seen another situation like that with respect to a bottom paint product Mm. Um, you know, I think um, class action litigation has its its benefits, mm-hmm. um, um, and there are there certain cases where that's appropriate. On the other hand, 
I think in the marine world, the circumstances can change so rapidly, as rapidly as the weather. And mm. that, that sort of defeats claims that people want to make under, under a class action status, not to turn this into a... Right. A, you know, I was surprised <laughs> that the, it went to a class action because I thought, well, okay, the paint... We often get problems. People come in, oh, this paint's no good. Well, it turns out maybe they didn't prepare the surface properly. And it seemed like there could be a lot of things that, that could go wrong. But apparently in this situation, there was a problem with the, with the product. But I, I was surprised that it went to a class action. Well, it was filed as a class action, and it resolved not as a class action. Oh, I so, um, and and the product itself, if I'm for at least the one we were dealing with, was was um, was a unique entry to, into the market. Offered mm-hmm. a unique aspect to bottom paint that others hadn't. How often do you? I, I noticed you cover all areas of admiralty law. Do you get involved with personal injuries to um, workers? I started out with cargo and sort of went the full spectrum. Um, and and the, the, what I have found to be the most rewarding is is helping uh, injured maritime workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think uh, the personal injury and death claims that we represent in our office are a large part of the work we do now. Um, again, for us, it is the kind of work it, that's there's a sort of, I don't want to say altruistic, but it, it, you feel it's the kind of a feel-good work. Instead right. of, and, I'll, and I'll do maritime contracts all day, but that is the, the time you get to, mm-hmm. to sort of help someone who's maybe been in um, a tough spot. Do you have a boat? I do. What do you have? I have an Ally, a Allied Seabreeze. Seabreeze, yeah, Allied Seabreeze. Um, it's 35 feet. It's a 1965 uh, uh, fiberglass um, um, build. Um, it's a beautiful boat. It's got a great line to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, by, by October, I am, I'm tired of the boat. <laughs> and by January, I'm starting to... Uh, Think about it. Yeah, and bother the ladies in my household with plans for the season, where we're going to go. Where do you keep it? Um, I've kept it over in Wickford and this uh, and Clark Boatyard in Jamestown. This mm. this summer will be at Clark. And where, where do you like to typically take it? I would like to say I have grand plans, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that we all. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, unfortunately, it tends to be limited to play, you know the immediate Cuttyhong Block Island. You know, I someday and uh, am bound and determined to um, to go to Bermuda on it. So, have you been to Bermuda before? Have you sailed there? Uh, back when I was. Uh, maybe like fourteen. I did a return trip. Oh, so right, yeah, that was what you were offered at that age. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was in my twenties, I was offered the. We need a crew member. It's late October, early November. The owner and the family will join us or join the boat in Bermuda, and you'll be flying home. Yeah. I got those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, yeah, and they were usually messy. Yeah, you know, we. I don't think I've ever been on. Well, actually, no, that's not true. The first one was beautiful. It was just we caught fish. It was everything right. was perfect, and and there was no storm. But the other two or three were gales and <laughs> just nasty. <laughs> that boat has actually been sailed. Um, not my boat, but that that the, the, the that, design that design has been all around the world and back and forth the, uh, across the Atlantic uh, numerous times. So if I could convince those in my household to let me go. I would sail across the Atlantic, but we'll see. It's such a nautical setting here with the microphone on top of the... Uh, yeah, the, you're, this uh, is the, uh, the second interview conducted at this in this little makeshift studio that I've created, an old-school desk, you know. No, I, I, I really I like it. <laughs> a pedestal. <laughs> yeah. A teak, pl- a teak pad on top where the compass goes. Yeah, I like it, the whole binnacle wheel thing. It's very, very salty. You're listed as a protector in admiralty. What does that term mean? Yeah, um... 
Proctor. I wish it was protector, frankly. Because oh, I'm sorry, I spelled no, it wrong. No, but it, it, yeah. it would sound better. Instead, I'm a proctor. Oh, I'm I a see. proctor in Admiralty, and I always think that uh, it's, a, it's a strange phrasing. But uh, it's simply a recognition by the Maritime Law Association of the United States that you have been a member and are recognized by your peers to have some degree of experience. Um, mm. Uh, I'd like to think, too, that if you look at those attorneys that are proctors in Admiralty, of which I would say they're probably under uh, 700 maybe in the country, really, that it rec- it's an appreciation for the fact that that's pretty much all you do hmm. uh, is maritime law, for better or for worse. Okay, I've got a bit of trivia here for you. You know the anchor of the CQR? Yes, I do. Do you know what that stands for? Oh, man. May I phone a friend, my daughter? Here? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Do you know Sal? Okay. And I didn't know this, honestly. I actually had, I stumbled upon it. It stands for... Quadrant? The Coastal Quick Release Anchor. Okay. It's funny, you run around with acronyms and you just... You just take it... Them. Yeah, yeah, you just take it for granted. Uh, did you Do you know what the original name of the trophy, now known as the America's Cup? Oh, I, sh- I have known this. I don't know it, though. But I know there was a former name to right. it. If that gives me any credit at all. Yeah, that, that Do I get any points on the board Yeah, for you that? get points okay. on the board. It's the 100 Guinea Cup. Okay. Uh, now, this one you will know. What was the name of the tanker that caused the oil spill on Breton Reef? Is that the um, World Prodigy? That's correct. All right. Bang on. I remember sitting at the end of the dock, the fuel dock at Connecticut Marina. Uh, with another guy who was older, and he was driving launch, and I was the gas guy, gas boy, I think is what we called them, and going, what the heck is that smell? Yeah, yeah, with the southwest breeze, I was, I was, I believe, on duty in Newport Harbor, all this smell, and then uh, going back to salvage, uh, there was a guy who was with a a competing brand to uh, the firm you used to work for, and he blew by me at full throttle right through the main harbor. What is he doing? And he's shouting, oil spill, oil spill. I know that man well. And he, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I learned later, I think he filed, a, did he file a salvage claim? I, I don't know if he did. I mean, I'm just trying to picture a guy in a center, 20-foot center console latching on to the hull of a, a tanker. That good fellow <laughs> never, he, he never was at a loss for enthusiasm when right. it came to that. So, um, yeah, he, he uh, I kept up with him. He moved to Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, right, yeah, yeah I, I heard yeah. that. After, I don't remember exactly when that happened, but later that summer, every time there was a droplet of oil or gas near a fuel dock, in the middle of the harbor, out in the bay, the harbor master, the Coast Guard, DEM, you could hear people on the radio. It was I like... Imagine. I mean... It, it was a panic button. It must have kept you all really busy, though. Or were you... Well, we didn't maybe do... A- no, we didn't do too much. I will say there was a, a really ridiculous moment that I'm embarrassed to say that I participated in, where they were going to interview my boss at the time, mm. uh, and the, he, they wanted the, the harbor master boat in the background. And they said, okay, you want to see you doing something, not just there with the, the blue light on. <laughs> so they gave me those oil zorb pads that you put in the bilge to absorb, <laughs> and they asked me to put them on, you know, on the side of the boat... In the water, in shot of the camera, and I looked at them and said, "Are you nuts?" I said, "That's that's not what they're for. Just do it; it'll look good." So, <laughs> well, um, but there was no the oil. I don't believe ever made it really into Newport Harbor. Have you ever seen a marine product? Mm. You know, people come out all the time. A sales rep right. comes through here, and you just looked at it and said, "There's no reason for that." 
Yes, because I'm obsessed with looking at um, supply catalogs around this time of year. It's like some people look at seed catalogs. I look right. at both supply catalogs. Um, I, you know, I know you're going to ask me well, which one, and I don't. I, I think that um, some of the interior appointments. There's an awful lot of teak out there. You think, you know, mm. if I bolted all that to my my cabin, I, I, and and then there's a lot of electronics these days. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We're doing a podcast. There's so many people that do these vlogs that I'm addicted to. Um, online, you know, uh, La Vagabond and yep. the rest yeah. of them. Um, Wicked salty, but. I would point to both those groups and say, have you ever broken a paper chart out? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's shocking to me, their, their commitment to electronics. Which well, that's actually one of my other questions that I'll just throw out there. You know, paper chart. Paper charts, divider, and parallel rules, or a chart plotter and iPad, you know? You and I, I imagine, grew up with paper chart. Yeah. I mean, that's how I was trained for a license. It's, I mean, I... and. All the work I did always had a battered chart, which I now actually have in my office, the same one I used to carry around my, in my backpack. Mm. And so I'm, you know, I, I, I think the electronics are a, a luxury that can't be beat. I'm, uh, I'm wedded to them myself. But I am shocked by the voyages people um, embark on, and all they've got is like an iPad mini that they're proud of. Right. I think, what? And Furuno for came out with a year or two ago, you buy a radar, it's just a dome with a power cable. And then you pull out your iPad and launch the app, and it connects. I was tempted by that, given the price point. So yeah. I did kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, that is slick. But then I, you think, well, if the iPad guys, you know, you're out. Any, with any electronics, if it, if it kicks the bucket. The thing that always seems to get me is there. every year I go to a trade show. I go mm. to a couple of trade shows in the fall, and we look at new products, and... There's never a shortage of a way to attach and adjust a fender to a yes. lifeline. And, and I, that always stymied me because I have a book at home of knots, and there are more knots in there than I could ever learn in a yes. lifetime. You, you know, there's a, a lot of ways to tie it and make it easily adjustable, but someone thinks that the world needs an easy way to do that. I, I, you have picked the, 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 the absolute most apropos example of... Of over engineering on the in the boating world, but but again, my my love of shops like yours, yeah, um, is visceral because I I I spend time at these other big box marine stores, and it, it really it saddens me. It, it, you know, there's a, there's a sense that um, the marketing that I don't know I, it whitewashes um, what I think so special about getting out in your boat and banging around. Yeah, you know, and and I. I don't know. That's probably not a can of worms we want to open. No, but, no, no. But enough said. Have you ever fallen overboard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was in an inflatable off um, off a beaver tail. Uh, it was like a Tuesday, and I was really scooting along because we had a job out somewhere off um, uh, the Sakonet area, and I managed to punch the thing into the into a wave. It was the old bicycle kind where you... Oh, yeah. And it yeah, Sail Newport has a few of those. I was probably overpowered. Yeah. I punched in, flipped me right off the side. I had a cord on those. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that. There's been a push recently I've seen in, you know, there's the always the life, wear the life jacket, boat sober, but now I've seen one about kill switches, the importance of wearing those or keeping them attached. I think that was, that was drilled into me, you know, yeah. I think. And that, I think sometimes too, you know, subconsciously you're on a boat that 
<laughs> you know, it's like certain motorcycles. You you just know that yeah. this is not a this is a product you need to be a little bit more attentive to. I never used, I never had one because for the most part, the boat I drove was a, an old port built twenty six footer diesel center console. You know, it didn't really go that fast, and there was a bit of an enclosure. Right. But when uh, my last few years on the harbor, they got safe boats and twin two hundreds, and I got to tell you, I shut the engines off more by forgetting it was attached and going over to, to, to reach for a line or something. Yes. yes. <laughs> I didn't know they had a kill switch on that because that seems like more of a I'm pretty sturdy sure platform. No, yeah. no, I'm sure they did. I mean, because they were running out. I just yeah. remember killing the engines a bunch of times because I, no, I'm sure they I was attached and I forgot. <laughs> it, it sounds like the kind of safety mechanism you'd have on a boat like that. Have you ever been boarded by the Coast Guard? No. And I, and I hope that I'm not, because my disposition <laughs> being such, I'll try to keep it together, but yeah. I just, no, no, I haven't. I, I mean, I, the proliferation of, I don't, I, I, don't, I, I think I, 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 I do worry a little bit about, um, about that tension between Coast Guard presence and hmm. recreational boating continuing to be what it is. So, sure. um, uh, that may just make me sound like I'm an old man at this point, but right. Yeah, it has become more of a sort of an anti-terrorism wing than it than it used to be. Where, where help, you know, the perception was helping people out, and the only mm. guys I know that were in the Coast Guard were actually rescue swimmers and, yeah. and actual coxswains and stuff like that. And then, and then a lot of them got sent over to Iraq, to my knowledge, too. Man, the Coast Guard played a there, were, there was a presence over there, uh, and I was always surprised by that. But that. That's a whole nother, yeah. yet another topic. For well, we had, a, I, we had a gentleman that worked for us part-time, and he's a Vietnam vintage. Sure. And he, he drew a, a low number in the draft, so he, he raced to his nearest Navy place and think, I'll enlist in the Navy. Well, he wound up driving a swift boat in Vietnam. And his buddy said, no, no, you should you should go into the Coast Guard. I'm telling you, the Coast Guard, you'll be on a lake in, in the middle of the country. And when he was in this delta in Vietnam, he looked over his shoulder, and in a Coast Guard <laughs> uniform, in, in another boat, he saw the guy that told him to join the Coast Guard. So I don't think there are any guarantees in that. No, I think you're probably right. I like the Coast Guard, though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. No, I, I think of all don't. the branches of service, I mean, they do a great job. They, right. I mean, I really think they do a lot with uh, sort of a limited amount. I wish they weren't under the Department of Homeland Security, because mm. I have no problem saying I really don't like that group so much. But... Uh, I, I wish they were still under the, I think it was the Department of Transportation at the time. Yes, yeah. And I, I wish that's where they had stayed. So mm. um, I'm, I'm inflecting some personal opinion. Yeah. This little oh, that's all right. Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation you probably shouldn't have survived? I have this little theory that those situations probably have occurred and you, you were probably closest and never realized. You didn't realize it, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's... You know, whether it's at work or, or socializing mm. in a way that you shouldn't have been, you know, I, I always, yeah. So that would be my answer to that. What my about you? Whitewater rafting in the Arkansas River in Colorado in, I think there were Class 5 rapids, yeah. where I really didn't belong. They had us wear this sort of light fall weather gear that, well, they were like just spray pants and a spray jacket. Sure. And that we were instructed that if the boat flipped to arrange ourselves so we'd go down the river head first. So your feet trail. I'm already saying a big no to this yeah. whole project, but go ahead. Yeah. So, well, I didn't wind up in that situation, and I could see quickly why they said that, because if you go down feet first, I guess your your feet can dive, and then you can get sucked under. Well, they did. Not only that, I didn't have the pants tied 
tight enough, they wound up around my ankles and caught on something. Oh, good I don't know if it was a tree branch or a rock, and I got pinned down. And, you know, it was like, okay, this is this stinks. And then you realize that I'm not I'm not getting out of this. So I, I think I did have a mini panic, and I, sure. I kicked off. I lost my shoes. Yeah. That was the only way out of that situation. So somewhere in the Arkansas River, there's, there's a pair a, of shoes. And, which is not a bad trick. And a pair of bibs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I, think, I think the real question of the hour is, did you go ever write whitewater rafting again after that no yeah no i haven't yeah. and i i don't think i would yeah I'm, it, there was a lot less control you know i've been in rough situations sure. offshore but it, it was too many i'm sure somebody who's an expert whitewater rafter could correct me and say that i was with the wrong people the wrong guide but it it just seemed like there were so many things that could go wrong because Unlike a charter sailboat where you've got a captain and a professional, sure. a couple of professional crew, the guests are mostly just milling about, and the crew can do everything. In this situation, the guide is rely one guide is relying on six other people or whatever the situation was to paddle a certain way, to move a certain way, and it, things happen so fast. And it's, another way to think about that is that you are relying on the guide and these other right, you know, four yeah. associates you've just met. Of course, you all signed a waiver, you know. Yeah. I can help get around that. No, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. If you wanted to go again, something happens, just call me. Well, we'll it's not going to help me if I'm dead. Well, well <laughs> uh, morbid, but yes, that's true. We can get you around the waiver, though. Back to your work. What were some of the most, what were some of the greatest challenges in your position? Is it dealing with people? I, I think it's dealing with other attorneys, and that's not a pejorative. It's mm. just that. This, this job, you wear a hat, and, the, and you really are acting in, in, in advocacy for another person. Mm. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it, there's a constant tension conflict. And I think as you get older in the business, you, you hopefully try to learn how best to manage that with opposing counsel and such. And, mm. uh, but I think those are the, it's not every instance, but you do run across situations where you're like, you know, it just becomes a difficult road a hoe because you're dealing with this other attorney who's being obstructionist or what have you. I was talking, my wife is from the UK, mm. and I dealt with an immigration attorney sure. for the process, which was, looking back on it, it was straightforward for him, but I could have never navigated this on my own. Right. And we were talking once about, he, I think he was suggesting, you should look into admiralty law, you know, and I thought, oh no, I've got my hands full at work here. But then he said he knows some people that are get attached to a case. I don't know if that's the correct word. Mm. And they had long since retired, but they were some, somehow still tied to, to some ongoing, I don't know if it was litigation, or just an ongoing presence. Sure. And I'd never heard of that concept before. I thought, well, if the guy retired, he's going to go play golf or go sailing. Right. But is, that's something that happens in your world. I think for the unfortunate, it might. Um, oh, geez. I, you know, I mean, I think that, it, it, I know, for instance, that um, in New York, I was um, not lead counsel, but a part of a team of attorneys, a small part, uh, in some very big litigations involving um, blue water uh, vessels and cargo vessels. And in those situations, um, the momentum of those cases and the size of those cases were the lead counsel in one of those cases to have said, I'm retiring tomorrow. I mm-hmm. could see in that situation where a federal judge would say, 
Well, you might be with every other case, but this case, you've committed, you're going to finish out the trial on this, because you're the one who knows everything. Right. And, and, and it would impede the court's efficiency if you were to retire right now. Yeah. So that, that could be a problem. We talked earlier about, well, I, don't, I think, I guess I was subpoenaed. Um, I guess, I don't know if I was, what the technical term was, but there was a salvage case right. locally, and... Um, I had lawyers calling me. One, guy, They called me here because I had written in an official capacity in the Harbor Master Log. It was a night some weather blew up. We had a squall. I had a gentleman who, maybe as a result of the stress of the situation, his wife called and said, my husband has chest pain. Mm. So immediately I wasn't very interested in what boat was dragging in which direction. Sure. I, we coordinated with the Newport uh, Fire Department and transported him to shore, assisted in them doing it. But I got subpoenaed in this case and I have to go in and at the beginning I had like one lawyer would call then another one would call and I'm like well which one are you are you with that firm or who was the guy before and then finally one of them indicated over the phone well I'm gonna send you a, a subpoena and you're gonna and then when I told this this other guy called back and and I told him he says oh okay I can't talk to you then yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of that but I, I wound up in in a courtroom and they were really focused in at least the component i was involved with was the weather that night sure um they all they had to go on was other people's testimony and what i had written in the logbook and unfortunately for them i'd written very little about the weather i just i think i noted what the approximate wind speed and direction stormy conditions sure and and then it it became a focus of the well, yeah, I mean, the importance of having someone like you, a non-party who was on scene and doesn't have any dog in the fight. Right. I mean, it's those kinds of things that that, that you win a case on or you lose a case on. Yeah. And that takes real um, you know, horsepower on the part of the attorney to identify someone like you and then pursue it and get you lined up and get right. you into the courtroom. Well, my 15 minutes of fame took me a whole day <laughs> out of work. Wow. I, you know, I was up in Providence, and uh, I, basically I found a place to eat and then... It was a long, yeah. It was a, it was an eye opener though. It was interesting to see both sides go back and forth, and and uh, there were, I think there were more than two sides. There seemed to be a lot of parties at the table. I don't yeah, know. I, I, yeah, I, uh, that can happen. I mean, you've got sometimes you have insurance interests, and the vessel owner might have their own attorney. And, mm. You know, was it a salvage claim? It was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- those cases can be relatively straightforward. They're tried before the bench, meaning they're tried before a judge and a right. jury. Yep, there was a judge there. Yeah, and. Um, and that's such a great court up there, the federal court up there. I've been practiced up and down the East Coast. I really like that uh, federal court um, the best. It's such a, a colloquial um, uh, court, and it's, uh, I feel that the, the, you know, it's just, um, it's, um, it has a nice volume of cases, but, but, but not enough that it can't spend time with your case. Right. You know. I like the name of your law firm. It's not your typical name, like, yeah. you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, and associates, or, yeah, it's, saltwaterlaw.com yeah how did you come up with that you just um you know i i think i wanted something that would stress the fact that saltwater is where we're at that's what we do and uh and so that that's where that that emanated from and i i think um you know it is it's full weiler llc saltwaterlaw.com oh i see so the saltwater is dot law is your website is, yeah, that's our website, and that's we do a lot of branding. We do a lot of branding through that too. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to do. We, we the firm does a lot of things that other firms don't do. We do write books. We've got you know a, a host of different little things that we offer. That's right. Clients. You wrote a book. 
You wrote the, the the swim. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I I'm I'm grateful. I'm going to go home and, and, and toot my horn that yeah. someone's remembered the name of that uh, uh, book. Being a generous based term, on a real story. It was, and 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 it's interesting. You mentioned about falling overboard. Joe Gross was the guy who who I wrote about who fell overboard on his boat coming back from Block Island, and uh, that was an incredible uh, tale. Not, not not my writing so much as the actual event was really uh, mm. interesting. So yeah. uh, the fact that he pedal, uh, treaded water for so long. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I, I've talked to two people who've gone over the side. Mm. Um, one intentionally, um, she was chasing a box that contained a ring. Uh, both okay. are in my pod, previous podcasts, and another one where he accidentally fell in the water, and he had to wait for them to come back and get him. And it, both of them, weren't maybe not amazed, but just alerted to the fact at how quickly the boat disappeared. And I mean, you're in the water, and and there goes the boat. And you're like, wow, it's it's impressive. If one of them described it as, when are they going to turn around? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it took a long it, in their mind. Maybe it wasn't that far in reality, but when you're in that situation and you see your your boat leaving you, it, it can be shocking. The perspective changes so much because mm. you're you're. you're um and you would know this from all your training, but having sat with the Coast Guard to discuss that case mm. and, and, and the folks that, that found him, um, I mean, that's like, I, I guess they equate it to the size of a coconut on top of the water is what they're really looking for, which is wow. incredible when you think about it because your body's mostly underwater. And so they're out there trying to find that such a small shape. So from a perspective viewpoint as well, I mean, you're, you're, your whole frame of reference has changed so quickly. I think it would be... A, mm. I mean, it's one thing for the little boats I'm, I mess around in, but I mean to be offshore and fall over must be one of the most terrifying yeah. things. I, I once on one of the trips to Bermuda, the, the captain went over the procedures, the watches, everything sure. like that, and we we covered everything. And he said, "All right, does anyone have any questions?" And one guy said, "Yeah, are we going to go over the man overboard drill, or are we going to um, talk about the procedure?" And the captain said, that's an excellent question. He said, you go down below, you grab his stuff, and you throw it over the side because he won't need it and we don't want it. <laughs> and we all just stood and looked at him. And what he was saying was, you don't exit the companionway without being attached to the boat physically. No. So there was no going overboard in it, his it, mind. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a binary <laughs> thing going yeah, on here. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a, that's a good story. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for taking the time to no, sit down with me. I'm grateful for uh, for being invited, so a good deal. And your website is? Uh, www.saltwaterlaw.com. And that book, is that still available? Can people yeah, it's on it? Amazon. It's called A Swim. Um, and uh, and you can go to the firm's website, too, and request. We've got a book on salvage. We've got other books on Jones. That Act. you authored? Yeah. All right. Um, but um, so on Amazon it would be a swim, right? And, and by you, name. John yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Good thanks deal. again. Hey, thanks for inviting me. You've been listening to Standing Before the Mast podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply.